0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Men on Mission podcast. Lindsay here today with a guest, Duncan Burns from Brothers Keepers, or Keeper. And inside of this, it's been a while. Duncan and I used to sit across from each other in circles with MKP a few years back. And I've been following Duncan ever since he started with Brothers Keeper. And I got to say, man, for what you like in person, I really love the way you write. And I've I watched that so often with people because I love writing and I love words. And the way that you put together information, the way that you explain, the way that you express has been really inspirational to me. And I know that it's inspiring others because the amount of traction you get when you make a post, it's really big. Like lots of people reach out, lots of people share and comment and like. So, yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge you straight off the bat for that, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, cheers, brother. I receive that. I
1: receive <laughs> that. Uh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, and it's, j- sorry, jump in um Actually, I'm not sorry. I'm sexy. Um, jump in on that. Um, yeah, I, for me personally, I don't feel that that, f- that flows from me. I, I really find sometimes that it's a struggle to do posts. Sometimes I can, like, I'll have a thought and I'll tap in and then it's, I guess it's sort of organic. It's just, I start typing and that's what comes out. Um, But there's times that I, I go through spaces where I don't know what to write, you know, like just nothing's coming to me. Mm. You know, like how people say, oh, you just show up on business. You've got to be on social media every day. You've got to be putting content out. You've got to be doing this. You've got to be doing that. All of that is just like, that's not me if it's not coming from a space where i feel or whether it's i guess coming through me on some level then i feel like it's forced and i can't force it
0: totally Mm. i i absolutely agree with that for myself as well and that's i think why it's so good like Mm. when you put stuff when you put a post out or you put info out or you share yourself it lands Mm because it's the truth behind it it's not oh i just did a post because it's monday and i have to post every monday mm. and i i appreciate that and i like that i i feel the same that i can't post every day it mm. comes when it comes yeah but when i read yours and i see the way that you express yourself it feels really good cuz sitting in circle and, and hearing your stories over the years and what you've been through <laughs> it lands like there's, there's congruency inside of it. So mm. I, I always appreciate people like yourself that have lived a full life can also put pen to paper and, and share that with other people so they can get a, a, a glimmer of what it's like to have lived your life or, you know, have your wisdom and experience. Yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Never ha- feels like ha-
1: Having a full life, I mean, uh, yeah, it's definitely been a journey. Um, and I was actually thinking about it, it's come to me just recently a few times that the first real time that like I blocked out the first seven years of my life due to um childhood trauma. Um, but it was shortly after that we moved into the next house, um, that I pretty well basically spent the rest of my years growing up, um, I was down at a young a mate's place and his old man had taken off. He was an alcoholic and he'd taken off with another woman and left his, my mate's mum with four kids, one little fella in nappies. So I'd go down there and help him finish off his um, chores for the weekend because he's st- obviously, you know, we were, I think, 10 or 11. He'd stepped into the man's role of the house, you know, at like mm-hmm. 10 or 11. Yeah. So I was down there helping him out, get his chores done so he could, take off on the bikes or the skateboards (laughs) and hearing your podcast the other day like the free range kids yeah you know like that resonated with me so much and um it came to me even back then that i'm here to help people that that's what i'm here for and i mean i've been on the journey that i've been on but not but and coming out the other side of that is really sort of cemented in for me is that i'm here to help the men that are transitioning out of the that lifestyle that I've lived to support them and mentor them to empower them to create change within their lives and the flow on effect with that mm. and also also f- you know r- totally resonate with what you've said with other guys on the podcasters about the rites of passage for young men and that's a massive i feel it's a massive part of what's missing in our society, and what has created the things that it's created, where we are now. And also, for me, the re- part of the reason why young men get into gang life is one, obviously, from their childhood trauma and upbringing. But they're looking, f- uh, subconsciously, they're looking for that rite of passage, love um, and connection too. Oh, it's it, it was. Um, I was doing a, a guys. Um, program and he actually spoke into it it covers the four out of the six human needs you know what i mean even though it's an unhealthy avenue but Mm. it's still it's still
0: bringing that four out of the six you know some of us have really unhealthy growing up family Mm. life and still unhealthy even though it's a family Mm. just because you've got your mum and your dad at home doesn't mean it's healthy yeah and just because you're in a gang doesn't mean that it's potentially unhealthy at times Maybe a lot of your needs are getting met, you know? What if we're going to jump back? Because we've just jumped forward and I want to jump back. Yeah, man. So what was, where did you grow up? Tell me Uh, the story of like growing up.
1: The first place I was born at was um, Hornsby in Sydney. Um, And when I was about four, my younger sister died a cot death. Um, So then shortly after that, and I only know this just through And As I said, I can't remember the first seven years of my life. Due to that and what on, what went on there for myself, my parents, and and all of that. Next, we moved to a place called Carlingford, which was northwestern suburbs of Sydney. Um, is
0: it as far as the Hawkesbury, like out that way? Nah,
1: nah, near sort of more between Parramatta and Pennant Hills yep. area. Okay. Yep. And um, yeah, spent up until what seventeen, eighteen there when I first moved out, and then. Yeah, worked in a pub when I was in just sort of transitioning in and out of home at nineteen. That's where I ended up meeting up with guy, uh, guy's wife, and that I was working with in the pub, and uh, came in contact with gangs. And yeah, that w- was the beginning.
0: Was that so? Was that something that was prominent in that area? Because I grew up on the south coast of New South Wales, mm. and I'd always heard about the gangs mm. of Western Sydney or Southwest Sydney, that area, Campbelltown, all the way through around the fringes. So, I mean, I think a lot of the drugs that were supplied to the South Coast were obviously potentially from that way. I mean, a lot of the stuff that was grown on the South Coast was grown on the South Coast where I'm from. So, you were probably getting what we were pushing up and we were probably exchanging something. Who knows? Not me personally. I moved away when I was 16. But Mm. um, was that something... I guess getting back to it, is that something that was easily accessible in that area at the time?
1: Well, it's funny, and it's only once again something that sort of came back into my memory is that um, just recently, oh, I'm, you know, a few times over the last couple of years, is that I actually grew up a couple of kilometres away from a Comancheros clubhouse. And I remember one of the first times going up on a Friday night, which was our takeaway night, going up with the old man to the fish and chip shop and walking in. There was half a dozen Comancheros there. And this was back in the old days where they were just rough as, you know, not, you know, the wearing the Nikes and all that sort of stuff and the gold chains and all that. They were just old, old-style bikies. And there was one dude there that I, I'm assuming must have been in the massacre, Meryl Para massacre or something like that. He had a massive scar which started his forehead came down across his eye, down his cheek and then into his the top of his mouth. Wow. And it was like full on. It was like his eye was sunk back into his skull a bit. Oh. I remember looking at that dude going, mad. Mm. <laughs> like <laughs> so these dudes look really full on, you know. Mm. And um, so I grew up around that. And then there was another time I remember um, going up the coast with my parents on a school holiday. Can't remember. must've been about 12, 13 or something like that. And, going up the old pacific highway up up north and um the old man come to an overtaking lane and normally he's out in the right hand lane booting it you know to overtake cars and tra- trucks or whatever and then this time he didn't and like leading into that i could hear this thunder just coming uh, louder and louder and louder and louder it's like you know 12 year old kids like, what the fuck's that noise you know And the next thing, the overtaking lane comes in and the old man doesn't jump to the right. And the next thing, you know, 40 bikies (laughs) pass the car. And you know what that noise is like, you know. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's like at 12. (laughs) And I've realized that I sort of blocked that part out as well. I realized later on, it's like when I was 12, I just went, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want at 12. Mm. So, you know. Well, did
0: i ca- <laughs> did you choose it or did the gang like choose you did, right? yeah
1: did did i manifest it did i call it in because then when i was you know 1920 as i said i started working in a pub and then started working with a gang member's wife who i became very you know very tight with and that that member put me up to the club so i started hanging around hung around for i think two just over two years before i numbed up mm-hmm. and then yeah got my patch and yeah then it was all on from there (laughs) yeah i mean
0: i i have no idea what to even ask but there's parts of me that wants to ask like i'm intrigued because (coughs) for me it was i mean that was never on the cards i mean we had people i'd had experiences Mm. of clubs Mm. but really i never really experienced that on the south coast of new south wales very rarely um few motorbike riders but i don't think anyone was patched or anything Mm. like that Mm. and then moving to brisbane i was in woolen gabba and i knew that there was a clubhouse Mm. in woolen gabba but i don't even remember whose clubhouse it was yeah um you know so the experience of that is yeah i just uh, i think it comes back for me the way i can relate it with the the podcast is just what's it like being a part of a a club
1: for me, it was everything that was good and bad. like there was times that i 'll never forget out riding with mates and just having fun out on the bikes and that's for me that's what it was and for me, I joined up for that family type s- type of thing 'cause that was what that's what was portrayed to me um but once I got in there, I saw what life was really like and i saw all of the dark side Mm. like it was fucking treacherous very very dark um and at you know at times it's like there's you know you see the red flags you see this it's like okay am i going to get out and if i am going to get out how am i going to get out and how much is it going to cost me to get out not just financially but physically um because I saw some of that as well and it's like mm, that sort of stays with you it's like okay it can go that way um so or do we you know for me it was am I going to stay here and try and take it back to the old ways where it was more about family it wasn't about money drugs ego all of that sort of stuff um and that played out the way it played out me and my stubbornness and my, I guess, my ego um, and not willing to back down. And I guess on some level not knowing how to walk away, <coughs> which then, yeah, um, pretty much nearly, well, did cost me my life. Um, and it was only, you know, what, six, five, six years later after I got my patch that, yeah, I was laying in a gutter with a bullet hole in me, bleeding out. And uh, managed for the paramedics to bring me back.
0: <coughs> so I'm glad you're here, brother. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, well somebody was watching over me that day because um the trajectory of the bullet was went in my back and the trajectory should have really technically blown my heart out of my chest, but when it hit my back it straightened up and went straight through and come out of my chest on you know
0: in between your heart and lung or something?
1: Uh yeah, punctured my lung and yeah. missed my heart by half a centimetre.
0: Yeah. Unbelievable if that's the case and mm. you're laying in there laying in that gutter in that moment mm. what got you in in the first place what was it really this lady that you worked with at a pub mm. what what brought you in what was the what was the way that it happened how did it unfold for you because i th- i'm guessing anything like that is a almost a slow burn there's some connection or there's some draw
1: yeah, well, I just, I'd, you know, we'd have a few drinks after work and then her husband, which was the guy who put me up to the club, um, would come in, so I met him and we'd have a few drinks. It was a social thing, we are just hanging out. Um, I guess, as I said, on some subconscious level, there was obviously this is a rite of passage for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went out, I was already, you know, already had a drug addiction smoking pot and disconnecting from my teenage depression and all of that suicidal tendencies and all that sort of stuff um went out to the first bike show was introduced to speed so that was my first introduction so then of course i overdid it went back to a, a after party and they just saw the after party and just went wow this is where i finally fit in like you know and i, I mean i had i had a good childhood you know like played football had the support from my father and parents to play football went to a private school which my family paid for even though you know it wasn't what I wanted to do I knew it wasn't for me so I I guess I resisted and rebelled against that on obviously on some level you know a few other things happened but I went through high school feeling like I didn't fit in Mm. so then when this
0: happened it was like fuck this is
1: where I'm supposed to be
0: and what was it about it? Was the <coughs> was it the chaos? Was it the music? Was it the the attitude? Like what all of it? Yeah, right. all of it. Yeah,
1: it was all in it together. Yeah. And I already had you know that curiosity, love for bikes. Even though I'd never really ridden a bike, mm. only ridden a dirt bike a couple of times, but I always had that. Like that's what I want. That's what I want. And like I said, it was implanted in me from twelve years old or whatever. So it was like. Yeah, uh, subconsciously, like, my f- as, and then as I said, it's like, fuck, I found where I, f- you know, f- I finally f- thought I found where I fitted in, mm. in life, you know, and mm. I was like, fuck, this is it, this is cool. So, and then as I said, you don't really find out what the st- real story is till
0: you're patched?
1: Yeah, and then uh, you, the okay. doors. Close behind you and then you're right in the middle of it all <coughs> <coughs> right okay
0: yeah. and so is there a certain process for you that you're allowed to share about that like how you got patched like how does that work oh just
1: 12 months you know they call them a prospect or a nominee you just depending on each club as to how long that pro that time goes for and you've just got to serve your dues so then that depending on who that is depends on what that is they'll test you to see what you'll do Okay. it's either you you either you get the choice i saw it because then that's what saved me from a lot of stuff is hanging around for a couple of years watching guys go through and going right because i'm i'm a watcher i'm an observer like if i go somewhere that i don't know and i don't know people or generally even if i don't know them i know them but i don't know them that well or i go to a new environment i will stand at the back of the room with my back a wall and i'll stand there and observe and i'll just sit there and watch mm. and just watch people how they interact with each other what their energy is
0: like and i've been like that for as long as i can remember i've done that too <coughs> and that's that's my childhood right that's my childhood trauma showing up mm. is how do i detect what's going like is this safe in this mm. environment yeah you know growing up in sometimes an unsafe or unpredictable environment has me be really good at scanning a room mm. you know yeah and I, I see that in you like that's mm. what you're sharing so
1: yeah so um, yeah and as I said that's that's you do the. you know as I said depending on where you're at you do 12 months and then you know all going well you get you get your patch and then um, that's when you get led into like the meetings and get led into really finding out what's going on mm. and then yeah it all unravels from there yeah right <coughs> I mean don't get me wrong Different guys have different experiences, obviously. Of course. Um, but I did see me personally. I saw a whole lot of treachery, A whole lot of treachery.
0: Yeah, with inter club or against Both. other clubs. Both. Yeah. Okay. If
1: we if we weren't warring with somebody else, it was internal. Yeah, of course. You know, it was a, and it's that toxic side of it.
0: Mm. You know. Yeah, it was not really like. My thought around it is: I grew up in an environment where it went from zero to a hundred. Mm. It was either. Everyone's happy, and then bottles break, you yeah. know, or whatever's going yeah. on. That's what it felt like for me. Mm. So, I just wonder if it's being in an environment where the conflict resolution isn't really done with words. No, I mean, in a way that actually has it be resolved. It's almost no. That. There's
1: yeah, the, the only time it really gets resolved is was what I saw was through violence mm. or the threat of violence or standover or something along those lines. Yep. It was like somebody's backing down. If somebody doesn't back down, then it's just head to head. Mm. So, yeah, you know. Uh, I mean, I did, as I said, I didn't grow up in that type of environment at home. But obviously, there was some reason as to why I was there to experience that side of life. Um, I guess to see the other side of life, to know that what I could deal with and how far I could take things. And handle myself in those situations, you know? Yeah. Plus there was also, I've sort of felt into it too. Plus there was also the amount of, I mean, the amount of drugs I was taking at that time was ridiculous. Like just the amount of drugs I was taking realistically, I shouldn't be here anyway. Mm. And it was like that lack of self-love, self-respect, pushing the boundaries on every possible avenue. You know what I mean? Whether it was riding bikes, drinking, taking drugs, whatever. All of it, man. You know, like going away on trips, like, 5 days Do you know no sleep in that
0: brown bag
1: yeah yeah last one jump on the bike at gold coast and ride one hit back to sydney after 5 days just stuff like that yep. and just pushing the limit on every every time you know what i mean i reckon in all the years that i was there i i reckon i rode that bike a handful of times sober and that wasn't by choice. Mm. Mm. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So yeah, just and it was I realistically looking from what I know now, um, it was just like a six year suicide mission, which got me to the point of getting shot and that was the final wake up call.
0: Yeah. How man <laughs> for the listeners out there like how far do you push it until you realize it's like yeah when you're, the gets <laughs>
1: <shot>. <laughs> when you're in the gutter die with two holes in your front and back and you're bleeding out you're saying to the guys around you tell my missus and kid that i love them so i'm going mm.
0: goodbye mm. and then that's it out yeah. yeah what does it take you know and that's the for me it's getting to men before they get to that point or before they tie something around their neck and jump or whatever it is. You know, that's why I think for both of us sitting across from each other right now is why rites of passage is so important because it's not how much can we drink till we black out or how fast can we drive around that, that street or how many women can we conquer, whatever it is for, for guys at that young age that are looking to be challenged, to be stretched, to find some part of themselves, to connect to some part of themselves
1: yeah and i mean like what i've heard sitting in circle you know a young man will choose his mentor and if you only surround him surround him with unhealthy you know men then what do you think the outcome's going to be
0: you don't need to be genius to work it out product to your environment (coughs) yeah totally or you totally flip well there is always that but how do you get out of that that's what i realized Mm. like i was super lucky to move out of my little hometown when I was sixteen mm. and finished school in Brisbane. I mean it could have gone really bad, mm. but it didn't you know so yeah. for for the parents out there with young kids, like my boy's fifteen now, and it's every day's up and down challenge, mm. you know he's a great kid, mm. you know, and i'm I'm very lucky to have an environment for him that's just super easy. You know, yeah. mum and dad are together, total opposite of what I grew up in. Yeah. You know, and having that yeah. experience. As much as he feels like he's got it really tough. Uh, I think we all <laughs> do at that age, don't we? Like <laughs> to some degree We all think the world's against
1: us or whatever. But I mean, I've got two daughters, one's 16 and the other one's 12 and they're just about to have their birthdays. Um, So they've had the opposite, I guess, to what I've had where my parents stayed together. And I always wanted the, the relationship that would you know you know last, but it just wasn't that way, and I ended up leaving my girl's mum because, I mean there's a multitude of reasons, and I ended up we both ended up on ice, and that was I didn't learn the, that lesson that when I got out of club life later on I buried you know buried my head in work thinking show up as the provider just show up show up show up show up show up, Ran myself in the ground trying to do everything cover all the bases Mm. and i guess on some level i had some guilt with what i put my partner through because we were together for 16 years i met her just before i got my patch so that whole life we were together Yeah. (coughs) Um. we lost our first child when she had a like a head-on car accident um years and years before we had our other uh, our eldest daughter so i mean you know whether there was some guilt still attached to that or just suppressing everything that I didn't want to deal with when I left the club. Like I went into like chronic PTSD and depression um, and not knowing how to get help or where to get help to
0: deal with all that stuff. Oh, 100%. I think it's the same for returning military or police officers. It's mm. anyone that's had a mission that then stops their mission. It was even me closing down my club. Mm. Once I've closed down my club, my identity of being an international yeah. weightlifting coach is gone. Yeah. So, who the fuck am I? Exactly, man. I, and yeah. I shut the club going, oh, I'm just going to be a family man. And then Tani mm. falls in love with a woman. Mm. And then I'm like, fuck, I'm really alone right now. Like, mm. I'm not a coach. I don't get to talk to anyone. My mm. partner doesn't want to hang out. I'm, I got to hang out with Balin a lot, mm. you know. But it's like and it's fucking f- depression, man. It's
1: funny you say that because... um what i did was bury myself in work and and having my daughter um looking after my daughter all weekend because i mean i we had a very close bond when she was first born because her mother had really severe postnatal yeah so i took three months off work and stayed home did the night feeds so i slept with her during the day you know bathed her fed her did all the things man so there was that instant level of connection with her so then when i got out of the club i started driving Doing, you know, intrastate work and was just doing ridiculous hours. Um, Trust just, driving? Yeah, trying to get ahead um, because I'd been off work for four months after. I'd stayed at home for three months to deal, uh, work, uh, have her and deal with her. Um, on my ex had postnatal. Went back to work for two weeks, got shot and was off work for another three to four months. So I was so far behind the eight ball. Um, so just got in and was, as I said, doing ridiculous hours um, taking once again a massive amount of drugs to just keep going. Um, realised that wasn't working and then so obviously on the weekends I was putting all my time into, you know, spending as much time with my oldest as as I could. Mm. Not dealing and once again knowing what I know now, completely suppressing
0: everything that I needed to deal with at that time. Um and then so common though, man. Like how many guys do you know? Like my thing is that I work predominantly with with men on a mission is workaholics or nice guys. soft yeah. often the case. They've got the natural order out. They p- can't put themselves first, so they put either their partner first mm. or their work first. Mm. Some men put their family first, but I feel like caretakers is more the feminine. More women seem to do that. They mm. put their family first, their partner next.
1: Well, I mean, in saying that too, I mean, realistically... That's what we've been conditioned as men or what we've seen growing up is the man as just the provider go to work go to work put make the money put the food on the table go to work be emotionally disconnected until unless it's fucking rage or something like that spews out sideways you know blah 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 you know the cycles bro and I'm sure there's sure there's so many dudes here that know the cycle until you know you either hit or I until I hit rock bottom or you get once again when I went into my second relationship and had a child with her, it was like I'm repeating the same pattern. This isn't what I want my kids to grow up understanding is a normal relationship. You know, when I split up with her, it's rock bottom again. It's like, what the fuck is going wrong? Why the fuck is this happening again? Mm. You know, like what is it that I am doing? Or what is it that I'm doing wrong? you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and then it can be easily the guilt and shame spiral of death, you know? Oh, I've failed. I am a failure. It's like, no, the relationship didn't work because you don't have the tools because no one fucking ever told you how to do it. No, you know?
1: and, and on saying that too, it's something that I've heard just recently and it's so relevant as like, okay, how do we co-create? How did we, co- how, and now like for me, how did I co-create that relationship? 100%. Do you know what I mean? Like, what did I do? or how did I not show up, or how did I show up, or what did I do, what's the things I did, like dropping into the Mr. Nice Guy fucking doing all of that shit with covert contracts and all of these things. And do you know what I mean? Just that unhealthy
0: way of being like, mm-hmm. and not knowing any better. Well, for me, it shows up in like I have a an archetype inside of me that I call Dixie. She's my drama queen, <laughs> right? And so, you know, I got to dress up as her on Halloween at, um, at Vic's um, Halloween party and it was great because it's like she's the, she's the part of me that craves attention mm. drama mm. she likes to get herself in trouble she likes to stir the pot mm. it's all those parts of myself that I grew up in an unstable at times unstable environment where that actually makes me feel safe so I mm. stir the pot create chaos so then it can come back to resolve it's almost like watching a TV drama Something mm. bad happens, and then we all come back and we love each other again. And yeah. I perpetuate that. So the mm. co-creation in my relationship is Tani's the stable one, mm. and I'm fucking running around co- like just put, putting fires on everywhere. Mm. Mm. And then I'm the one like not wanting that, mm. but there is a part of me that does that. So it's mm. how do I co-create the chaos? It's like it's on it's my. I'm fucking responsible yeah. for it. Yeah, and for me it was.
1: A <coughs> excuse me, I realized now that for me it was like that that white knight it was the i'm the rescuer i it's on and i don't know where it came from or why but it was like i take it on as it's my responsibility to show that woman in my life that there are good men out there and it's all on me Mm. and i have to show up in all of that to show them do you know what i mean it's just that really unhealthy um you know white knight here need to be the hero type thing and
0: movies books yeah all of it you know and for the listeners that's the drama triangle yeah, you know so the rescuer the victim and the perpetrator mm. Who, h- how do we play out this in our in a relationship or in our family dynamic or with our partner you know uh, are we generally the one complaining so we we fall into the victim and wait for our woman to rescue us or does she go fuck you and become the perpetrator or is it flipped around the other way? And as a man, is, is my woman complaining a lot? And then I end up getting mad at her for complaining. So I perpetrate on her. And then another family member might rescue her or whatever it is. However, the dynamic can play out. And what and what I found with my son's
1: mum is we morphed between them all. Do you know of what I mean? Of course. She'd, she'd dive into her masculine energy and I'd, I'd submit, do you know what I mean? And go into the people pleaser and show up in that. And then, it'd, you know, she'd perpetrate and I'd be the victim. And then it would just morph, you know, for some other, uh, you know, in some other situation. And it was just backwards and forwards. And it's just like, once again, it's like, fuck, just, this just isn't working. And it's not only seeing it in her older boys, my older girls are witnessing it once again. Our son is witnessing it. And it's just like, fuck. What you did know. you do? Uh, I We split up. And I'd already started, I uh, was already working in the um, youth worker community services industry. Okay. I, once I got off ice, I was, you know, had the message come through for me that um, I'm here to create farm programs in youth detention to get young, mainly obviously young men out of detention, out on the farms for a whole heap of you know holistic healing and all of that, that type of rites of passage, you know, all everything that's associated with that. So that... I found my purpose in life Um, so then I started basically on the ground level and working towards that Um, then got into working for another company um, after working with disengaged indigenous youth um, wanted to up level so then you know started working with this other community services company got called into a a meeting just once again you know universe doing its thing around domestic violence they had a program there for women Who had been through domestic violence and were you know integrating back into uh, you know uh, admin jobs or uh, doing a certificate in administration or um business stuff like that so i sat in in on that meeting and it was i was coming from a man's point of view it's like okay so you know coming from a man's perspective you know what is there out there for men that have come out of a domestic violence relationship what is the support there i was already involved with black dog brotherhood um, which is, you know, a program for men around, you know, depression, mental health issues, nutrition, fitness and how that was all um, interrelated and working on that.
0: Is that the Black Dog Ride? Is that something that's no. similar, Black Dog Institute? No, no, different? that's a different organization okay. altogether. Um, no, this
1: was Black Dog um, Brotherhood, which morphed into Black Dog Coaching. Okay. Um, but yeah, like I just said, um, so I was already involved in that because I knew, like, when I was still with my son's mum, like, I was depressed as fuck, you know, everything was going on, I was already involved in that. So I went to this DV meeting, come out of the DV meeting and just went, right, fuck, what's out there for men? So I started searching in and then up pops this thing, Mankind Project, oh, fuck, I'll look into that a little bit more and left work that day and got home and jumped into the group chat and the uh black dog brotherhood and just went hey you know just found this thing blah 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 it's men's work uh, looks really cool i'm interested to suss it out you know there's one in you know cannon hill brisbane is anybody keen and one of the guys that was in the pr- in that group goes yeah i'm already going there and then neil the guy who ran the program went yeah i'm pretty keen for that and it's sweet so we'll roll up tuesday night and then started going there um I distinctly remember the first like two weeks or three weeks checking in I couldn't even get a sentence w- out without just turning into an absolute mess because I just split up with my son's mom I had all that going on oh bro man like as I said like I barely even got I reckon i be lucky to get five words out in the check in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I was just
1: like, fuck, uh, you know, like just, Beautiful. just bawling my eyes out, man, just releasing everything that needed to be released, you know. Mm. And then it became, uh, I committed to myself. And I guess on some level, I committed to my kids, like just knowing what I was doing just wasn't working how I was showing up wasn't working, all of the stuff. I'd hit rock bottom again, just been out of another relationship that involved kids, you know what I mean? Like, mm. fuck, what, you know, something, I've got to change something. And I'd already sat in some men's circles already um, and it was a religious thing, not that I'm against that, but whatever works for you works for you. But for me, it just felt like it was scratching the surface. It wasn't actually getting to understanding or having an awareness around the core root of the problem Mm. as to why these patterns keep showing up in my life yeah you know and then um yeah the rest is as you all know man sort of how it's played out to where i am now Mm. but um yeah it's at one stage there i was just showing up every week standing up Just like, hit me with it, hit me with it, hit me with it. What can we do now? Like, I'm so fucking over this. Got to do it, got to do it. And it was actually Brooke that pulled me aside. Um, Brooke Lucas that pulled me aside one time and just went, hey, man, do yourself a favor. Give yourself some time to process. (laughs) He said, like, I see you. I see you getting up. And I see you wanting to smash all this out. He said, but at... and." it's going to be a point where it comes that it's all just going to fucking kick you in the ass or kick me in the ass and just nail me. Mm. He said, so, you know, just be graceful with yourself, you know, allow yourself some time to process, you know, what it is.
0: I think there is that part. I think for so often, for so many men, including myself, is when we finally get to men's group, we're at that point where we want to really fucking fix it. Mm. And we do it like we do everything else we just go balls (laughs) deep you know and just hit it as hard as we possibly can to try and maximize it or do the thing and there's honestly there's no rushing that process it happens as it happens and it happens as we emotionally piece everything together and heal and accept those unloved parts or unknown parts of ourselves Mm. you know as a man had so many blind spots. I'd done heaps of personal development and coaching and coached internationally and looked after people and did all sorts of stuff and was married. I had all this stuff where I thought, I've got this sorted. Mm. And then there's a whole universe of unknowns for me that were playing out in my life. And to have the conversation like Brooke kind of did the same for me, it's like, you just got to chill, man. And uh, my upset was that I were watching i was so often watching men not stand up that really wanted to have a change in their life Mm. as well and that got me really riled up because it's like why are you here if you're not going to do the work why are you here and Mm. then i had to have compassion for the fact that some men it takes them a year before they really crack inside of the circle yeah well i mean everybody's
1: on their own journey and it's all individual as you well know you know some people are ready at different times. Everybody's got their different lessons to learn at different times. You know, I mean, uh, the, the story that sort of always sticks in my head is like, and Brooke will tell you himself, he sat in circle for the, you know, 12 months or more, they reckon. And he barely said a word. Now have a look at where he is. Look at the facilitator that, that, that he is. Look at the way he holds space for people. You know, everybody's on their own journey and no matter. Where you are or where I am in that point in time, it's also understanding and trusting the process that you are de- you are going through, what it is that you need to go through in that point in time for what you need <laughs> to grow or to take the next step. And for me, that can be like massively frustrating because <laughs> <laughs> I want it all and I want it all fucking now. Like, it's like, fuck, just let's do this, man. Fuck, you know, but... What I have learnt is, and another big message that's come through for me in the last 12 to 18 months, um, and it's, you know, one of it was doing Spiral with Danny. Um, What was it? The more, oh yeah, not be so focused on the end goal Mm. and focused on what I haven't achieved. Honour myself for what I have achieved realize that yes that is a goal it's not the be all and end all and start having fun the more fun i have the more flow will happen and the more flow that happens the more alignment will happen and that's where i've sort of i've been pushing my edges to step into that space of of having fun not being so focused on the end goal what i'm here my mission what i'm here to achieve all of the things do all that okay i haven't done this i haven't done that I'm fucking beating myself up because i'm not where i would expect myself to be you know what it's like man mm. it's like fuck take some time to have some fun mm. you know create actually create the time to go and have some fun what do you do for fun um one of the big edges for me was actually going to um conscious clubbing like when the first f- ones or not my first ones which was up in brisbane when you know and doing that when mark was with anthos and just stepping it massively stepping out of my comfort zone like you know even the drive <laughs> up driving up, they go, i don't want to do this i don't <laughs> want to do this i don't want to do this what are they going to think of me i can't dance i'm a white man Fucking rah, 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 just, <laughs> <laughs> just rattling all this shit off in my head and i got there the first and the first time i went there you know bumped into a few familiar faces so that brought me down a few levels of calmness you know went in there and just had fun just let loose I was like, in the end, who gives a fuck? You know, I'm just going to do my thing. If they think I'm jumping around like an idiot, well, fuck, I'm I'm having some fun. And cool. I, yeah, and it was actually very, very sort of funny, not funny, aha, uh-huh, but at the end of that night, I just, you know, Mark finishes the night how he does. He said, "Was oh, has anybody gotten to speak? And I just said, yeah, man, thank you. I really appreciate this. Had some massive resistance coming. It really helped me shift some heavy energies that I'd had leading up to this you know for the last few weeks and his reply was just it it blew me away he just went man i really appreciate you coming and he goes to see knowing from sitting in circle with you from when the first times i've been down at narang when you were there as well he goes to see where you where i first saw you to where you are now he said there's just such a change he said sitting in circle with you he said you were so angry he had so much anger in me that I had to get out and allowed myself to let go and get it up and bring it out. And then, yeah, and then there's other things as well, going to, you know, still going to his nights when I can, At, you know, getting back into surfing, was, you know, play. You started playing the didge, which I was dropped off on practicing, but starting to move back into that. Just going out and, you know, meeting new people and having trying to have new experiences with no attachment to outcomes, just wanting to be in that moment with that people or with those group of people and just experiencing whatever happens in that time. And if, you know, going home and just going, yeah, that was fucking really cool. I had a really cool night and being cool with that.
0: Mm. Yeah, the no attachment or the non-attachment outcome definitely allows for more fun and freedom to happen Mm. i've experienced that i'm starting to learn understand it more and more even inside of my relationship with tani but just yeah if it keeps me present Mm. by not putting like not future tripping or going this is how it should go it's just showing up and seeing what unfolds is the mystery i think Mm. you know and i think that to me it's like our lover archetype of how do we play you know, And as adults, and especially as men, it's how do I meet that little boy in me that's in me for sure. Mm. So why do I need to stuff him down or put him in the corner? It's like, I actually need to let him out a whole bunch more so I can have more of the parts of me fully show up.
1: Yeah, just as I said, like just allowing myself or whoever to ourselves to have fun, just go out and have fun, enjoy stuff. You know, still I mean, yeah, I get there's a whole heap of stuff going on in the world at the moment and it's very easy to get caught up in it and you know, a lot of us are and me I have done and but I've also come to the point where in the last few weeks, even, you know, getting caught in that I've got kids, how am I gonna show up as the protector? How do I show up as a man to best protect them with what's going on and then it's the last couple of weeks is just or oh, probably yeah, the last I guess some month is just this knowing like this yeah just this knowing just going it's going to be okay mm. i mean yeah okay we might be headed down some dark paths but i n- just have that f- knowing that things are going to work out it's it's going to be okay
0: i trust that too i heard someone today say that at 17th of december we won't be able to use a hospital if we're unvaccinated so mm. that's pretty wild but i know that we'll work it out whatever happens mm. you know and so if they're the things that you actually do there's a part of me that's realising for myself is I do a lot of things that pleasure me or I feel good for doing or I I create it in my life that I do lots of fun stuff. However, I don't actually allow myself to actually enjoy it. So do you feel like you actually are able to enjoy the things that you do have and what you are doing?
1: I totally understand what you're saying and yeah, I do have those times as well. Like it's I, I n- for some reason I don't allow myself to really drop into that space and then other times I do. Mm. You know, whether it's, you know, my ego trying to keep me safe or whether it's that itty bitty shitty committee in the back of my head going, blah, you know, whatever it is. Um but yeah, totally um totally understand what you're talking about there. So there are those those times and also a big thing for me is when i create a connection or something i feel drops into place on one of my missions to do with my mission and what i'm here for you know like having a conversation and going yeah okay there's that next piece of the puzzle and being on that high from that going yeah fuck this is moving forward you know and then i might you know get however far along and get a no or this or that and it's like fuck Mm -hmm. all right where do I go from here? Do I pivot? Do I do this? Do I do that? And um tr- not trying, working on not head-fucking myself over the nose and not coming back with that fuck you energy because then it's I, I, I've worked out that I have that very strong lone wolf and that's come from all of my experiences going, okay, you're not going to support me or hearing no as a like, nah, not interested i'm not going to support you no a no isn't a no it's a maybe it's a a not now or the universe might have something better in store for me Mm. but my instant reaction is fuck you you know like you're not going to support me fuck you you know Mm. and i've really become aware of where that comes from and that energy and from the past of not trusting men and from my experiences and if I don't get the support or I don't get what I feel that I should or how need how it, how I feel it looks like, then I come with that, fuck you. Like, I'll do it my fucking self. Go, <laughs> you know, like.
0: Oh, I can so resonate <laughs> to that, man. Yeah. Not knowing, uh, what I actually realized for myself inside of that is no is not abandonment. Mm. It's just a no. Like yeah. I, can, I can say no to you and still love you. Yeah. Whereas I took of no as like a complete obliteration of mm. self because I can't, in the past, I wasn't able to realize that there's still, not that no is a gray area, but just rejection is like if, if you want my coffee and I say, no, you can't have it. It's mm. not like. I don't like you mm. it's just this is mine mm. and in this moment so for me it just it didn't really compute even as an adult i would still take it on very similar like
1: yeah, yeah well it, it, the big thing is about is like that rejection i don't think it's or for me it's not that abandonment side of things it's the rejection you know what i mean and i mean that stems with having conversations with women stems from all types of how good is getting rejected
0: by women uh <laughs>
1: it's oh. I've had a uh, couple of experiences over the last couple of years where my wounded little boys come out to play um for whatever reason and sometimes it's not about rejection but it's also Allowing me to witness where it comes up and how it comes up and how it plays out and therefore then how it affects how I relate with that person and how that relationship will continue. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And just coming to the awareness of that's what that other person needs. That's a no because it's a no for them. It's not about you me it's that's their it could be their boundary it could be what they're comfortable with it could whatever it is it's and res- respecting that and just going okay that's a no for you cool
0: it's so sovereignty piece so what i keep coming back to for me that i'm really <laughs> learning this year is the whole you me us in the relationship mm. that so many i've talked about it and brooke speaks about it and the ultimate relations and the part of that is the other person saying no is like them self-loving. And then it's an opportunity for me to self-love and self-care as mm. well and not making it the other person's responsibility. Because mm. what I, I read something the other day is if I don't have sovereignty, then it's very easy for me to become codependent with the other person. Mm. And I feel like Tani a long time, to- a couple of years back, has sort of developed more sovereignty inside of herself that she can, which is great makes me look at my own Mm. and it's a weird thing at the moment i've spoken to um that i feel at the moment is i feel immense loneliness at the moment inside of my relationship Mm. but there's actually nothing wrong with our relationship Mm. our relationship is good it's actually just me Mm. because i give that over to her to hold on to instead of self-love self-caring myself Mm. and fuck, it is brutal at yeah. the moment because my my inner dixie's just going fucking wild and breaking shit and all yeah. she wants to do is go shoplifting and smoke cigarettes you know and yeah
1: it's okay. wild so yeah the thing is how you know if you just spoke into that it's like okay so how what do you need to do for yourself to make yourself feel loved validated heard seen you know it's not somebody else's job it's like how do we Create those spaces and it's i mean it's another thing too like i've done i did tyron's um one of his programs um around you know sexuality and all that sort of stuff shout out to tyron mowbray it, big hunker man yeah 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 and i mean every i mean all of these guys have had an input i mean you've had an input sitting in circle with you you know brooks had his input danny's had his input you know tyron as well all these epic men um have all had their, I don't know. Yeah, input. I guess that's the best way I can really put it. No, for sure. Um, Takes a village, man. <clears> to make yeah, a man. totally. And calling each other forward and calling each other out on each other's stuff or behaviour. Um, but also, uh, like, and and what you've spoken to previously, from what I've heard, is that um, in a loving way, you know what I mean. Just going, hey, bro, I see you, but is it could you be doing it a better way? You know, or hold space for you, and then afterwards, it's going, hey, man. You know, is this really the way that you want to show up? How can we, you know, do this better? How do you do? You need support on on what it is you're working through. You know, um. So yeah, the thing that I was going down there with the sexuality stuff is getting away from like masturbation and to self pleasure, and the difference there. And can you act? Can we or can I drop into that space of allowing ourselves to actually feel? Mm you know, rather than just ripping one out for the sake of
0: ripping one out, you know? Well, what's the outcome, right? Is it a self-exploration? Because that's something mm-hmm. that I didn't get modelled and it's something that I've recently been doing in one of the programs I'm on is understanding my sexual blueprint is mm-hmm. one, understanding my love languages is another mm-hmm. and I understand that now and then starting to realise and I ask men all the time, when was the last time you did a self-pleasure or mass like. Essentially, when did your self pleasure last without your cock? Mm. Most of them look at me like, "What did you just fucking say?" Like yeah. that's not even the same thing. Yeah. What is self pleasure? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, so
1: they, they think masturbation is self pleasure. No, nah, man, it's two yeah. completely different things.
0: hundred percent. And for me, it's been a really awesome learning. Is for me the way I've learned it the most is the experiential learning and lessons of being in an open relationship mm. and understanding and witnessing other people or going even just to a basic temple night mm. and having that experience of witnessing it because I'm a visual person and I like to learn stuff it's <laughs> yeah. like oh that's what it can look like mm. oh I can look so different cuz yeah. I'm not not seeing I, I don't watch porn so it's like w- i'm sure what we're seeing on a screen there's not much erotic play teasing sensuality slowness you know, let's kind of get to the point.
1: Yeah, what what's played out for me is the more I've done work around the sexuality side, self-pleasure side, the less I've had any inclination to watch porn. Hmm. I mean, I watch it every now and then, but ma- uh, not but, and the majority of the time, I'm, it doesn't interest me. You know what I mean? I'm seeking pleasure. Other ways, but I've also worked out that I have outsourced my pleasure mm. previously and outsourced my validation previously. So it's like, okay, how can I bring that back to me? How can I create the space and create pleasure and happiness within myself? Do you know what I mean? Rather than doing it externally, it's like <coughs>
0: screen time. You know, yeah. humans are fifty percent screen time, fifty percent not on their screens, mm. and. Before TVs came along, it was pretty much no screen time. Mm. And then TVs and then computers and now phones. I, I read something recently, it went from 80% to 70%. Now it's a 50% of our total time spent on screens. Mm. And then what about us? Like if we're looking at a screen for pleasure, we're not noticing our own nuance and our own pleasure. Mm. And then how much are we actually then getting to receive that pleasure inside of ourselves that we then get nourished by it. So how do we nourish ourselves mm. by doing, having a practice? And I think for so many minutes, oh, I get up and I meditate and I run and I train and I do all this like warrior archetypal movement. But what about your lover archetype? What about central play for yourself? And not even for the sake of ejaculation either. Mm. It's like, how can I keep this energy within me? Mm. And how can I then go and use my sexual energy as a way to create and bring new life to my own world because i think for both of us having our anger be our driver we've used our warrior energy for most of our lives Mm. where tani will say it sometimes she's like are you mad and i'm like no i'm just getting shit done you Mm. know and that's this that's my driver a lot of the time is like Not that I get mad, but I use that anger energy to get shit done. But then how can I do that in a way that's sometimes using my pleasure to get things done?
1: Yeah, from my understanding, pleasure is tapping into the creative side of things. Um, And that anger can be channeled in healthy ways like passion and fire and motivation and all of those things from my understanding. So there's that and I mean, I guess... We can you can get to the point of being able to merge those together and have them flow together. Obviously, it takes some work and some understanding and some awareness and how that works. I could possibly still be learning that,
0: but <laughs> oh, man, I am so still learning that. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. do not claim to be an expert in freaking anything yeah, yeah. except for maybe weightlifting, and that's irrelevant.
1: Yeah, we're all lear- still learning, man. But um, yeah, it's and that's what i'm sort of working on now is i mean i've had all these visions about what i need to do and what i want to do and and what i'm in the space of doing is creating the foundations now to get it to yeah create the foundations so when things take off everything's hopefully right in the right space so it's it's in a good space so yeah. you know, it'll be all good
0: Coming back to that, you got into youth work. Yeah. How did you get involved into that?
1: <coughs> um, <laughs> once again, the universe doing its thing. Um. Uh, what was that after I? Yeah, after I got off ice and back to, you know, ended up losing everything—the house we were paying off, the cars, the bikes, all of that stuff. Um, knew that I didn't want to go back to mining, the last 12 months of working in mines, was just grinding against me hard, like just being out there every day, seeing what we're doing to mother earth, and all of that, it was just something in me, grinding, and I got to the realisation, hard realisation, that can have the house, can have the bike, can have the car, can have all that, be on 130 grand a year, but if I'm miserable inside, it doesn't mean shit, like, just doesn't mean anything. Um, and so that played out the way it played out, and then I couldn't because I'd lost my licence. Uh, I lost my licence due to points, split with my girl's mum, um, got made redundant from my mining job. All of that within the same month of each other back in 2014. <coughs> so, yeah, and that was when I. You know, not long after that, and as I said, was living in my car for a while. You know, I did pretty much attempt suicide twice, figured out what I'm here for. I was like, okay, so where do I go from here? I couldn't get a forklift license, couldn't get anything off Centrelink, spent, you know, paid 250 grand worth of tax in all the previous seven years working in the mines, couldn't even get a $400 forklift ticket so I could go back to work. So I could pay more taxes. It's just like, it's ridiculous. But obviously the universe is saying, no, this isn't for you at the moment. Um, got put onto a, a, a space by a, a lady that worked in my job active provider at the time. Rolled up there, was volunteering just because I c- couldn't get a job or anything. Um, was there, showed up. Spoke to the guy who ran the place. Told him, you know, sort of what my vision was, what I wanted to do. Within a couple of weeks, he said, "Oh, there's a young fella. He's autistic. He had some money in his N NDI, or it was before NDIS, but in his money in his account, he needs a carer. He needs this. So that's how I started doing two days a week with him, for you know, four or five hours each day, taking him out." taking him for walks taking him for this or took him away for a weekend you know charter boat fishing and, and all that stuff that he wasn't getting for him, you know having that outlet and then came back was volunteering again and within a couple of weeks the guy who was running a work crew for young men mentoring them into creating us getting them into being employable yeah. got done DUI the guys, the boss says to me you we've got a position open you want it yeah sweet and so, yeah, unqualified, just kicked off, just doing the thing. Well, back then you didn't need a certificate <coughs> and not for exactly for what I was doing then anyway. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then it's just evolved from there. The next thing I was doing, uh, conservation and land management certificate ones, putting in disengaged Indigenous youth through those for, you know, employment outcomes at the end of it and basically being a mentor for them. And then... That flowed on to the next job where I was doing similar programs for migrants um, there as well as long-term unemployed and then that evolved into working with ex-gang members, uh, which is something, the program i just finished up probably five months ago and now I'm in residential youth work.
0: Yeah, right. And you do that on the Gold Coast or in Brizzy?
1: Um, yeah, up up towards Logan area. Okay. Most of my work has all been centered around Logan for the last seven years or whatever.
0: Yeah, okay. And then, so what's what's next? I've heard you talk about it a few times. Um, the stuff with Brothers Keeper mm. and some of the bigger projects. Is there anything that you're up to at the moment?
1: Yeah, I'm opening up a ten-week program for men transitioning out of gangs, crime, and jail. Um, the target is sort of their families with a support. Um, I'm having conversations and got meetings coming up with, um, you know, people that I've already got men transferring out or transitioning out of jail that are coming to them
0: so what that looks like is however it's going to play out is um, there support at the moment because it seems like to me that's the kind of thing like we were saying before around exiting a gang or exiting military exiting a relationship quitting a job whatever it is this transition phase for so many men they just there's just like a loss or a lack like how does that
1: work yeah well the the gang program i was working on which was, overs- was overseen by Task Force Maxima, they actually approached me to be the case manager pretty much and mm-hmm. I was already working for the company um, that that got that contract. Um, what I see is there's a gap there, you know, and I see it and that's where I was back then when I got out of that, bury myself in work, you know, do all of that stuff, not deal. I mean, they're getting, you know, psych, psych sessions and all that, you know, funded. Which they, you know, a lot of those guys really, really need. Mm. Um, but then there's that still the disconnect from doing the sort of men's work. And, you know, I mean, obviously they've got to wanna step into that space, but it's also, um, having that space for them to step into and having that space or having their awareness to that that space is actually there (laughs) and what that looks like and how that can catch and change. And from the history that I've got. I I feel that I'm I guess on some level the conduit for that, Um and then there's you know another thing that I'm working on another project I'm working on is creating youth hub outreach centre slash refuge one for sort of Logan area and one for Gold Coast area which is awesome know, speaking to child safety youth justice you know inspector inspectors of police and Logan um YFS in Logan. You know other organisations and other people from um, the Gold Coast area. After I did that, a current affair interview towards the start of this year, it's a massive gap um, in in the community and society. You know, and also seeing you know what's the situation can be for some youth in residential care. You know, the disconnect from in- education or or the disconnect from whole society
0: or community or whatever it is that that's going on for them. Yeah. That's what I see. I mean, that's why I feel like rites of passage is so important is how does a young boy to say, we're talking about boys. Mm. How does a young boy that's in his family dynamic get to an age where he's trying to disconnect from his mum and dad, which is totally natural mm. for a man to become his own thing. Mm. But then where does he go to fit in society? Cause that's, what's essentially happening. We're leaving the family unit and going into the greater community who picks him up you know and that's the to me it's how do i integrate a young man who wants to break from his mum and dad in a healthy way and be a part of society Mm. in a way that is nourishing for society but also nourishing for himself because i feel that the harsh reality for so many of us is that 14 to 16 especially 14 is it still the highest rate of suicide 14 or has it changed
1: Oh, I think the numbers have drastically changed with all the stuff that's going on at the moment, but yeah. I know the rates of teenage suicide, the rates of self-harm in teenagers, all of that I mean suicide rate in men has gone through the roof in the last eighteen months, yeah. <clears throat> so all of that's gone through the roof and at the
0: moment. The part that i really what I've started to notice is if we want to break from our family, but we can't, and we can't work yet to support ourselves there's like a few years of limbo and that to me that's that's why i'm so passionate about it it's, there's also there's there's just a hole right at this moment where our brains aren't fully developed hormones are raging and we're just stuck you know when i look at my son who's right in the middle of that now being 15 and it's just like doesn't enjoy school doesn't there's a lot of things that just not feeling it not mm. feeling the connection really hard to connect like doesn't matter how much men's work i do i still struggle to connect with him because it's takes two
1: well it's like you said though man it's it, and it's not so much that it's there comes a time in a young person's life where it's natural to start rebelling against their parents or step stepping out and creating that not that they know it at the time that sovereignty within them like creating their identity i'm not you know I'm not Lindsay's son, I'm Balin or, you know, whoever it is. I'm not, you know, such and such a son, I'm me. You know, how do we create, how do they create that and what healthy environments can we create so they can create their identity? And it's like back in old tribal days, they used to take the young boys away, you know, on a, a vision quest or a rites of passage or whatever it was and the father didn't have anything to do with his son. Mm. it was the uncles the older cousins the you know the grandfathers or whoever he chose but his father did not have anything to do with him his father would be some other young person's mentor in that village or Mm. that tribe or whatever because there is that natural transition yeah natural transition or natural rebellious point in a young person's life where they just go no i'm not sitting under your wing anymore i'm fucking creating who who i am mm. and th- and that's what it is and like i said before if we don't create the spaces where the young people can take on their mentor or surround them with healthy mentors they're going to take on any mentor that they resonate with whether it be healthy or unhealthy and the unhealthy ones well i'm a prime example of where that can end up and i'm sure there's plenty of other people out there with it prime examples of where unhealthy mentorship or you know that search for something or that search for you know that ride of passage has taking them down the road that they've gone which hasn't been a healthy space
0: mm. and then so what's the next step then in that in this growth of what you're doing what's happening next
1: well it's yeah it's the foundation of it all i mean the 10-week program i'm i'm working through at the moment um ready to take on you know four or five men transitioning out of that life for a pilot program um and however that plays out um getting proposals and business plans done at the moment so then that creates the found you know it's got, got the foundation there um and then it's a matter of you know having conversations and meetings with people sitting down in front of ministers and and all that sort of stuff and then seeing how we can create change how we best how we can best create change i mean i don't see it as a jet ge- like a things are going to change i mean there's going to be change but not massive change within the next couple of generations it's for me it's like a quantum thing Do you know what i mean setting up change now that could you know in however many years completely change the way that we're dealing with our you know most damaged or traumatized wounded young men and men because I feel that what's needed is a, a two-pronged approach. I mean, yeah, we can be targeting the young men and helping them. You know, m- what my program is going to be doing is the most working with the most traumatized youth. But if we're not working with some of them, mo- or you know, as many as we can of the traumatized men that are transitioning out of gangs and jail and all of those things, they're going to come out and keep perpetuating that trauma. for me i feel that you just we're going to be chasing our tail so unless we're working with the men and the young men and working with them like on different things but at the same time healing the trauma that they're going through so we're not Mm. perpetuating that that generational trauma then that's where i feel that's where
0: it's going to where it needs to head that sounds powerful like having a young man that's potentially on the path to juvie jail whatever it is and mm. having a man getting out of that sit down with each other
1: we can't at the moment with all the laws that's not allowed to happen
0: i get it i get it but the thought in my mind is like wow to to have the experience lived experiential experience of what this man has gone through yeah to then you know actually have the conversation because it's you know if i go and tell bail don't do that because you might end up in jail. Or, mm. If you do this then this could happen, but I haven't lived it mm. but if someone actually has yeah it might be the, the best thing for that young man to hear it's like
1: yeah I don't, yeah there's definitely some power in you know ha- someone from that life coming out and saying, "Hey listen man, you know had I made a slightly different choice back in this part of my life, I probably wouldn't be where I am now yeah.
0: um, you know the documentary, the work, <laughs> you know like for us, we've watched it in men's groups. We did one of our nights just watching that. Yeah. And for any of the lift listeners out there, I highly recommend it. You know, it's...
1: I've watched it three times. <laughs> and every time I end up in tears. Oh, 100%. Man. Like, without fail. Yeah. Um, and I've shared that documentary with so many people. And that's part of what... One of the other things that I'm pushing hard to create is start creating men's work in jails. So... We're working with the men that are just starting to transition out. So they're starting to understand what the work is about. So when they transition out, not only do they have groups that they can go and connect into that can continue on that work, but it also gets them into understanding what it's all about. It's not that, oh, that shit's not for me or having no comprehension or understanding about
0: what actually goes on. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, it's to me, men's work is like the rudder <laughs> underneath the ship. You can see a man and there he is, but you don't know where, what's going on underneath, right? Mm. Like what's underneath the boat? There's the sails on the, st- on the top, which makes it like what we can actually see happening, mm. but the rudder is actually what's steering. That's why I try and explain to men. Mm. It's like you have a blind spot. There's plenty of things that you do, act, say, think, feel, that are happening regardless of you acknowledging them or not. And to me, it's like it would make sense that you have more of an understanding of what's actually driving you in your life. And I don't see there's any reason to have any sort of guilt or shame around that. It's, You know, then you can make a better choice Mm. and make a choice that actually is more aligned with who you are because we know, and Brooke talks about a lot, it's the whole congruency thing because I have that want and desire in my life I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But there's all this undercurrent of you can't do that. What's the shadow? Exactly. As you well know, man. Yeah. It's it's the shadow. you saying my shadow's big?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, um, yeah, I mean, as you well know, man, it's the shadow that's, you know, that's potentially keeping us in those cycles know what i mean existential uh, kink boom
0: yeah there's a kink he, around it like what's yeah. the kink oh the kink is really i'm not good enough so i keep sabotaging myself all the time or i get off on the pain i'm a recovering masochist i know that i know all too well about pain and yeah. about sabotaging myself hmm. and not allowing pleasure in my life yeah. my life is so fucking good and it has been so good and at times i just wallow yeah, or we go out of our way
1: to self-sabotage. So because of the the payoff, uh, the um the unusual feeling of everything being good or the <laughs> or happy. It's like it's everything's cool, everything's going nicely. Okay, and the next minute shadow drums in. It's like how am I gonna fuck this up? How can I go and self-sabotage this? My little wounded boy comes up and picks out something, and I will just blow it out of proportion so i can ma- make a mess of things and go see told you you know what i mean as like wow you know and dixie's um, agreeing right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so it's like catching trying doing our best to catch that or be aware of that and how that plays out and 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 working on creating a different way of dealing with it and also not having shame and guilt around being having joy or being happy in our
0: life, Mm. you know? I feel like that's a big one. I shared it recently. It's like Australians, for men, it's pretty much the only socially acceptable emotion to show anyone is happiness, just not too much because otherwise you're crazy or something's wrong with you if you're too happy. Mm. And if it's anything else, mad, sad, it's don't do that, tone that down, don't be too much. And it it stifles you know our expression our lover archetype what we can experience so we're not fully experiencing our actual experience Mm.
1: yeah well a big thing that's sort of come up for me a lot lately is um we're not taught how to hold space for another person so when we get into that space of trying uh working on holding space for someone our triggers come up it's we're making it about us you know what i mean or somebody else we don't feel safe to go and drop into that space because we've dropped into that space before and okay it might not have been a a healthy expression but instantly we've had that reaction from the other person and projected shame or reaction from them because it's triggered them and then for me, it was like, okay, fuck. I don't feel safe in expressing, especially the anger or the rage, or letting it out and being seen or witnessed and just being okay, it's out without projection of shame coming back or, you know, them dropping into their trigger. And because then all I do is just put on another two layers of armor. And then it's another process down the track to go, okay, now I've got to start taking that layer of armor off. And then I've got another layer of armor off. (laughs) And (laughs) then when you think you've
0: got none left, there's still more. And I I think too, just to speak to that is for the listeners, holding space isn't just listening. It's how do I see that person and how do they just get to fully express who they are, what they are, what they need in the moment with no judgment from me. That's what I'm studying at the moment with Hakomi, Mm. my somatic psychotherapy work. Mm. So, so often... In life in day-to-day life when we're using our conscious mind if someone shares something that's vulnerable or that they're upset about so often the reply is I need to fix this and it's not about fixing it's about actually hearing the person so they can what we call in men's work emptying the bucket if Duncan's got something that he's tripping on that he's feeling upset about it's you know my role in men's work is to hold space is to have that man just get to be fully expressed and just to be seen in it with no judgment. And then at the end when he's done, would he like feedback? Does he need anything more? And letting the man actually be asked uh, invites that man to think about it and feel into what he needs rather than being told what he needs. And that creates a huge amount of one, safety, but also growth and learning as Mm -hmm. to what experience I need to have. Because for me, anytime I showed too much emotion as a kid, if that was too much for the other person, it would get shut down. So, mm. if I was raging or angry and I got smacked for it, then I can't show my rage because it could be physically bad for me. So, I became passive aggressive in my mm. life and this is how it can show up because no one was holding space for me.
1: Yeah, and there's two things that come through for me there and it's one thing that Brooke has said and it's another thing that Jacob said that I've heard on your previous podcast is that one, yes, there is still that safety aspect and if it's a woman that's holding space for a man and I feel that's a big big thing, transition um, that's going on in this space and time and that a lot of people are navigating um, is a, a woman being able to hold space for a man yes, there is that safety aspect of it and having those boundaries and allowing them to be able to go, yeah, I don't, like, I see you, I'm hearing you, I'm witnessing you, but it's coming out sideways or whatever and, like, what Brooke has instilled in me is having that uh, time out being sacred. So in the middle of a heated argument, discussion or whatever it is, it's like having that, communication beforehand or setting that boundary within a relationship whether it's new or an old relationship or whatever bringing that in and just going if somebody calls a time out in that space it's sacred you get to stop there go away have an agreed time to come back with a bit of luck everybody will be at baseline and we get you get to speak it out where you're not so Emo- in your emotional brain and your thinking brain is totally disconnected. Mm. And another thing that I heard Jacob say, which totally resonated is like, not a, it's not always going to come out right. <laughs> you know so I mean? often it doesn't he, come he said, out right. He said, <laughs> for every one time I get it right, it's a hundred times that I, I don't get it right when it comes to being in relationship and communicating with what's coming up in that space and time. And something that just happened to me recently was, A whole heap of emotion came up after like three or four weeks of one thing after the other and I went and did a like a a group sort of healing session and that and a whole heap of emotion came up for me I had no idea what it was about and I was trying to articulate it I couldn't get the words out didn't even know how to explain it didn't understand what was coming up for me I wanted to scream cry and yell and rage all at once and just had no idea and in the end i just pushed the person away it's just like well if this if you can't handle this then don't be here don't be here don't be here and that was my you know wounded little boy self-sabotaging you know however that played out but in that space and time and that's what i see is uh for me and i guess this could be for a lot of men is when it's all coming up we don't really understand what it is that or what is driving what is coming up? A, a day or two later, it might drop, and we go, "Ah, oh, fuck! That was what it was all about." Do you know what I mean? And cre- mm-hmm. allowing ourselves and and being kind enough on ourselves, and loving ourselves enough to be able to create create that space for us to process and come back and go, "Hey, listen, this is what came up for me. I've, it's dropped. This is what it was about." Okay, owning if it came out sideways, going, okay, aware of that, I'll be more aware of it next time when something comes up and, you know, being able to go in the heat of the moment, bang, I need a timeout, go away, get the rage out, get the anger out, just move whatever it is that's coming up and being okay and coming back and just going, okay, I'm back here now. Mm. This is what it was about.
0: And I think too inside of that is not having a relationship in a silo <coughs> where you both just connect and that's the only person that you share with. That's why I'm so big on men's work being a regular thing is I don't want to bring the unintegrated wounded boy to my woman all the time because mm. then she becomes my mum. What I feel like is very powerful for me in particular is how do I bring my my, not my troubles, but my unknowing to men's group such that i can process it there and then i can let out my rage i can bring out those things so when i do go to my woman it's in a good way and understanding for me fight flight freeze or please is the the you know the the state of overwhelm that i feel so whenever i'm feeling overwhelmed there's a tendency we want to draw upon those four things and just noticing myself in the moment of fuck, I'm fighting right now. I need to stop doing that. Not that it's a bad thing, but this isn't going to forward what needs to actually happen. With my studies, it's how do I get to a loving presence? How do I be in a loving presence with my partner such that we can actually have a conversation and not an argument? Because so often at the end of what I think is a conversation, Tani's like, fuck, I wish we wouldn't have to argue about that. And then the part of me goes, we weren't arguing, you know, and then it becomes an argument, right? Like that's in that moment. It's like, that's not me holding space. Mm. There, in that exact moment. My woman's like, I wish we didn't argue. And that's an opportunity for me to go, oh, she actually feels like that's an argument. Mm. How did I co-create that? What am I actually doing in that moment such that I can bring it to her in a better way Mm. where there's less projection or less judgment Mm. or anger or whatever it is. And have a good relationship.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's it's like so many people say: if you think you're you've got all your stuff sorted, go and get into a relationship. And then <laughs> and then on top of that, there's the next level where if you think relations good, relationships good, go and open relate. Or if you want to hel- have your he- feet held to the fire or to the blowtorch, go and start up open relate, open relating relationship, and see the amount of communication that's needed the amount of respect that's needed the amount of accountability that's needed all of those things and if you for me it was okay what is this showing me where am i out of integrity where am i out of accountability how am i not showing up congruently you know all of those things it's just like yeah okay there's some more work to be done
0: sure is there's so much work to be done Brother, last Mm. question. Mm. I'd love to know, what is a man on a mission to you?
1: A man on a mission is somebody from, oh, okay. For me, being on mission is I have what my goal is that I want to be and what I'm here to create and doing what I can on a daily basis or a weekly basis to get to what I need to do to create that but also allowing myself to be able to take the time out to fill up my cup, have fun, enjoy the journey but still be focused on what I'm here to create and the mission for me once again is how do I show up as best as I can to create and support other people for them to work through their stuff, to show up as best they can because the ripple effect that that has and that goes out into society and community and, and, and the flow on effect of all of that. Um, it's like that saying, you know, when we start to heal ourselves, we heal those around us and the ripple effect and flow on from, uh, yeah, flow on from all of that, man. So, when i'm showing up as the best version as myself i'm i'm walking towards or chipping away at that end goal that i know is going to be of service to other other men and other young men in our community so they can work through their stuff to show up for their families their communities and their and for themselves
0: mm. <laughs> thank you so much brother for being here i uh, loved it hour it. and a <laughs> half went like that yeah appreciate <laughs> it thank you bro um and so the guys can catch you on facey catch you on instagram is there any other thing that's going on that you need to share right now before we close down for tonight
1: um no yeah you can just find me on you know duncan burns um facebook uh brothers keeper all one word um on facebook um what is it duncan underscore burns 45 um uh on instagram and brothers keeper 45 um on instagram as well man
0: awesome brother mm. thank you so much i so appreciate your time today
1: yeah we got here eventually <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep. for, i love it man appreciate won't be won't be
0: the last time i yep. promise you that all right everyone thanks so much for tuning in and again if you want to reach out and work one-on-one with me um with my comic style work and somatic work then i'd love to work back with you so just reach out anytime